reading is Genesis chapter 20, the whole thing. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God just said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return this man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me the kingdom and a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in all this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. Abraham's wife. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks for joining me in my bedroom where I've been self-quarantining for the last few days or week or so. I was exposed to COVID earlier, uh, actually last Sunday, a week ago, uh, and I feel fine still, uh, but I uh, thought it'd be wise to uh, come to you from my bedroom this morning uh, where I'm filming. So we've been working our way 
through the life of Abraham, father of faith. Do you remember a couple months back when Abraham tried to pass off his, uh, Sarah, his wife in Egypt, as his sister? And she was dangerously taken into Pharaoh's harem. Well, this morning we have a very similar story again. And I, as I came to the passage this week, I, I have to admit my uh, arrogance a little bit and my mistrust as I thought, God, this is basically the same passage. Why do I have to teach it again? Well, and then I thought, well, if God thought it important enough to be in here, we better pay attention to it. And as I studied it, I actually realized that the repetition of this passage being two similar stories in the same book of Genesis, that's actually the point, the repetition. Think of those great uh, pole vaulters at the Olympics. How many times did they knock the bar down and have to go back and repeat over and over until they hit that record-breaking jump on the Olympic stage? Thousands of times. Well, this morning we're going to see Abraham, he's brought back to his, his, old, his old high bar, his temptation of trusting in his own schemes rather than God's goodness rather than God's promises, and rather than God's own power to get things done, the things he wants to accomplish. And we too show similar doubts in God's goodness and ability when we choose to sin over costly obedience. But much like with Abraham, God can graciously even use our sinful choices to accomplish his purposes. So let's ask and answer two questions today in our message. So grab your outline, have your Bibles open, hopefully, to chapter 20, and let's ask our first question. Here it is. What happens when we don't trust God to take care of business? Now, remember, just recently, Abraham had learned some some new information about the promise of his son. The child would come through Sarah. They both learned that, Abraham and Sarah. Not another woman, but his wife would have the promised child. And it's right here he falls back into a habitual sin pattern, and he risks her life again. I mean, he's seen God deliver him and speak to him and covenant with him. And we hear the story, we might think, not again, Abraham. You're beginning to look more and more like your your nephew Lot. It's the same trap again. And here we see the the question begin to arise in Abraham's mind. Can God take care of his business? Can God really come through on what he says now that we're in this strange land with this strange king and he's approaching? Well, what happens if we say we believe God, but our life doesn't match up with faithful, obedient living? As Abraham began to question His life began to be mismatched. What are we communicating with with mouths that say one thing and lives that show another? Now, we know from the life of Abraham that real believers can struggle in faith and in times even live out of doubt, as we see again in Abraham today. And we even remember when Sarah convinced him earlier as well to try and produce the promised child with her maid, Hagar. They were tempted to take care of God's business for him. And we are too when we doubt. So I want us to look, as we look at this big question now, what happens when we don't trust 
God to take care of business. I want us to look at some symptoms directly from this story to answer that question. What does happen? Let's look at our first symptom. We scheme our own solutions when we don't trust God to take care of business. Our story begins by telling us that Abraham's on the move. In fact, uh, he's unlike Lot, who settled down in Sodom. Abraham's always been a bit of a wanderer, a sojourner, the scripture calls him. And now he moves southwestward, where he was by the Oaks of Mamre and other places around there. He moves southwestward into this new land, a new territory inside the promised land. And he's on the cusp of receiving the promised child. And here he finds himself in what he thinks is another dangerous situation. And again, he says to this king, like he did to Pharaoh in Egypt, King Abimelech of Gerar, he says, hey, uh, you take her. She's just my sister. You've got to be kidding me. But here's something for us to be aware of. Temptations to fall back in to old sin patterns tend to come during times of transition, relocation, change for us too. He's just moved into new surroundings, a new territory. And now for him, there is this fresh opportunity to doubt God's plan for his life and to try and scheme his own solution to a potential crisis. When you are uprooted from something, a job, a home, a relationship, a church, and all of a sudden you're in a new job, home, or community, or relationship, or, or church with new circumstances and with new people, this brings, like it did for Abraham, new opportunity for doubt and temptation. And like our father of faith, we can go back to old patterns of dealing with temptation. And many of them, sometimes for us, are sinful. Abraham was probably right to show concern when he walked in to these new situations. The danger was real. But he didn't trust that God could protect him. So his fallback was to lie again. Sarah, if you love me, Tell them you're, you're my sister. Then we'll hopefully be safe. I mean, we surely, Sarah, don't want to stand out in any way. Abraham should have known better. He did know better. He believed that God was in control. He believed within a year Sarah would give birth. And yet he doesn't act like it. Why does he do this? Because there's a disconnect There's a disconnect between the promises of God that he believes and the depth he's believing them and his living of his life throughout the week. There's a disconnect there. There's a disconnect on on Monday in his life after hearing the promises of a Sunday, which can happen for us in our church context. When do you come up with your own strategy of lying, of blame shifting? or or using anger, or or, or aloofness, or just disappearing, or taking over and, and bullying, and slip into sinful action rather than trusting God in a difficult circumstance. When does that happen to you? Maybe it's at work when you're tempted to take credit for someone else's project or work rather than speak up in the moment you remain silent. 
Maybe for some of our youth in the, in the uh, sanctuary today, maybe you've stood by while someone else was ridiculed at school, and maybe you've even uh, joined in. Maybe it's not correcting a clerk at the store when you realize they haven't charged you for something in your bag. Maybe it's not biting your tongue when you know what you say is only going to add fuel to the fire, whether the conversation's in person or online. Maybe it's as simple as when someone asks you, how you doing? You give a phony answer. I'm fine. I'm great. Maybe it's knowing that if you just don't call back when she's left you multiple messages, sooner or later she's going to forget, right? Rather than stand bold in trust with whatever God takes us through, even when obedience is costly, we can be tempted to fall back into old habits as we scheme our own solutions like Abraham. Well, that's our first result. Here's our second. We question God's goodness and think the worst of others when we begin to doubt if God can take care of business. Let's jump down to verse 11 and Abraham's response to Abimelech's rightful interrogation, where he essentially says to Abraham, why did you do this to me? You put me in danger of the judgment of God by stealing your wife. Look at verses 11 through 13 with me. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. First, Abraham literally says in the, the passage there, it's, he basically says, well, the gods have caused me to wonder, wander. Excuse me. That's why I did it. The gods have made me wander. Is that what happened? No. The God, not gods, the God Yahweh has called you, Abraham, with a purpose. And he's covenanted with you like no other person, Abraham. The gods didn't just cause you to so he begins to question and reveal what's going on in his heart with those words as he questions God's goodness and he portrays it falsely, like his calling was just nothing more than a chance of fate. I was kind of just wandering around. He was doubting God's goodness here. It's an understandable temptation. Remember, God's timing is not our timing, and he's been waiting a long time. There are probably days that felt to him just like wandering. But like Abraham, sometimes we can think we deserve because we desire all the goodness now. And isn't that really a big part of sinning? I want this. God doesn't want me to have it, but my eyes desire it, so I'll take it. It's a story we've been seeing all through Genesis. If God really loved me, he, he wouldn't put me in this situation Again, I'm just wandering. I better figure out how to get this thing with my own schemes. It could be anything. Uh, for Abraham in this moment, it was safety. He wanted safety so bad. Uh, for, for last week, for Lot's daughters, it was children. And they traded disobedience for children. It could be a bit of peace and quiet you just want. 
It could be sexual pleasure. It could be the affirmation of others. It could really be anything. We question God's goodness when we don't trust him at his word. And that's really the sin beneath our sin. We don't trust God's word that obedience is best for us. And so we manufacture it or we take it or we try to make it happen. But we can also be tempted in these moments of doubting God to not only think of him as bad or not having our best interest in mind, but we can think the worst of others as well in moments like this. Abraham says in verse 11, I did it because as I came here, I thought there is no fear of God in this place. These pagans, there is no way they will take Sarah anyways, and they will kill me. He imagined the worst of his enemy. When Abimelech shows actually in this story that he does fear God, and he actually acts more righteous than Abraham in this entire story, this is really important for us. Because assuming the worst and then, and then speaking it has been one of our, really our primary modes of discourse these past months in some of our families, in our nation, in our government at times, online. There were some great examples of this in an article I read this week. And as I read them, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the, the thought or the opinion, and then underneath, I'm going to, underneath it, I'll read, secondly, the, uh, how that, uh, we think the worst of that opinion and immediately begin to characterize it uh, as a caricature and falsely represent it. See if some of these uh, sound familiar. We're going to do a few of them. Here's the first one. I think we should wear masks and shelter in place to protect the vulnerable. Here's the false. You're just saying you're, you're, you're anti-freedom and want us to bow to tyranny. Here's another one. I think we should just reopen the economy to save jobs and help mental health. Ah, you're just saying you're okay with more grandmas dying and money's more important than people. Here's another. I think racism is still a problem even in the church. What are you saying? Are you, are you a Black Lives Matter neo-Marxist? Here's another. I think the fact that 70% of black children are born into out-of-wedlock families should matter. You're just saying it's all the victim's fault, and that's, that's racist. Here's some more. Let's keep going with some of these. I think the gospel, we need to keep it first. Ah, uh, you're just saying you don't care about social justice, and, and you're indifferent to suffering. Here's another. I believe in traditional marriage between a man and a woman. You're saying you hate gay people. Here's another. I love my country and I love Jesus. You're just saying you're one of those white supremacist Christian nationalists. How about the flip side of that one? We talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, the opinion that might be, I think that Christian nationalism is a problem the white American church should look at. Uh, you're just saying you're, you're a constitution-hating left-wing progressive. One more for us. I think we should have a compassionate refugee border policy. You're just saying you want open borders and, and, and no rule of law. And finally, I think maybe we should build a wall. You're just saying you're a racist who hates the less fortunate. Do you see how this works? 
We demonize the enemy, much like Abraham did. So we feel superior in moments of conflict. And we feel self-righteous and we give ourselves an excuse to act in ways we wouldn't otherwise. This is exactly what Abraham did. And he got caught. Why did you do this, Abraham? Well, I, I knew you, pagan, you would not fear God. And what he's doing in that moment where we can misrepresent and, and think poorly and, and re represent falsely others, he's creating a self-defense. It's our third symptom. We create a self-defense, a false means of justification. It's a false gospel when we do that. That's why this matters. As soon as our sin is exposed, sometimes in these moments, we begin to doubt the security we have in Jesus. We begin to doubt our righteousness is in Christ alone. And we have to cover when we realize we aren't as exactly as righteous as we thought we were. It's what Abraham is doing in creating a, a self-defense for his re, uh, reprehensible actions. Look at what he says in chapter or verse 12 of this chapter. He says, besides, she's indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Seriously, Abraham? What a weak defense. Well, the final result of, of not trusting God to take care of our business is this. We spoil our witness. First, Abraham does this in his family. What kind of influence does Abraham have in godliness when he keeps risking his wife's life over and over again? What kind of influence do we have in our families as fathers and as mothers and as grandparents? Do our actions encourage more obedience, more love of Christ and, and a supreme trust in him? Or like Abraham in this story, do we make it harder for others in our family to obey because we're pessimistic? We're thinking the worst of God or others, maybe, creating our own self-defense or, or disobedient and, and, and pragmatic in, in our family when it's convenient for us? Or are you willing to model obedience in your family when it will really cost you something? Or how about church life? As you think of Bethany and your role and place in it, are you a spiritual leader? And I mean that in the overall broadest sense here at church, not do you hold some kind of position or title. No, I don't mean that. But I mean, are you someone who speaks life-giving words at Bethany, dripping with the gospel in word and deed and, and modeling obedience and love and, and, and sacrifice and, and filled with the gospel? Or are you one who is pessimistic, divisive, overly opinionated, maybe legalistic? And how are you influencing with your witness in our church? Abraham has been spoiling his witness throughout this story. You remember in Genesis 15, Abraham's called to be a blessing to the nations. And so are we. But now he has an opportunity. And he puts the entire nation of Gerar jeopardy. As King Abimelech says to him, you've brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. What kind of witness is that when God's called him to be a blessing to all the nations of the world? 
Now, if Abraham obeys and tells the truth, might he have been killed? Maybe. But his integrity and obedience would have spoken volumes to the pagan nation about Yahweh. How does our non-Christian community view you or our church? What about our, our, your interactions in our small town with local businesses? What have those been like? How about your online speech? Do you know how many people see that? How about your driving behavior in our town? Or, or your conversations with other adults or other people at your kids' sports events or at the health club from one machine to the other. When we don't trust God to take care of business, like Abraham, when we don't take him at his word in the gospel, we spoil our witness. And these were just a few symptoms that, like Abraham, we can see in our own lives we're doubting God. So what do we do? Let's answer our second and final question this morning. What happens when we do trust the goodness, grace, and gospel of God? I mean, Abimelech comes in hard to confront Abraham. He comes in hard, and justifiably so. But even as he comes in, comes in hard, it was gentleness that ultimately won out as God convicted Abraham of his sin. Our first symptom of trusting God's goodness, grace, and the gospel that we see in the story in our own lives is this. We are convicted of sin. Why? Because when we believe the gospel, we don't have to perform for our acceptance. We're accepted to obey. We don't obey to be accepted. And so when somebody like King Abimelech comes along and reveals something to you, like you did with Abraham or somebody in your own life, you know that there is nothing that you could admit that would cause you to lose God's love. He loves sinners. And if his love is ultimate to you in the gospel, you'll be freed up, guess what? To confess to someone, to admit your words, to admit your faults, as Abraham did, to seek forgiveness and repent of anything. God's so gracious. Even like last week we heard from David, uh, as we might have thought God would get, be dismissive or impatient, God doesn't dismiss Abraham again. He's committed in covenant to him. And as you heard in the story, as Abimelech blesses him, he actually sends Abraham out of this predicament wealthier than he came in, with a new land to live in, with his wife. Well, that's our first symptom. We, we, we find ourselves convicted and repenting. Here's our second symptom of trusting God and his goodness and grace and gospel. We experience God in his grace, working through sinners and even their sins. Do you see that even Abraham's sin couldn't mess up God's plan? I mean, actually, Abraham, even if he told the truth, we know God's covenanted to him. He probably wouldn't have lost his life. God's covenanted. Even Abraham's sin couldn't mess up that covenant. 
And that's great news for sinners like you and me. Do your sins make your life harder? Yes. May you face God's discipline for your sin in real time? Yes. I mean, think about Abraham. This would have been terribly humiliating for Abraham. It was, it was an element of the discipline. Does your sin grieve God? And is it serious? And should you be fighting and battling it daily? Yes. But ultimately, if you're called one of God, placed in the new covenant under Christ, ultimately, even your sin can't ultimately derail your life or God's plan for your life. God was able to use this man, Abraham, through even his sins, because God was in control the whole time. And he was absolutely committed to Abraham and was absolutely committed to working through Abraham like he is us, like he is you. Which leads to our third symptom of trusting the goodness, grace, and gospel of God. We intercede and seek restoration. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. And he also healed his wife, that's Abimelech's wife, and the female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. There were real consequences in the house of Abimelech over the, these actions, over uh, Abraham's dishonesty over Abimelech's taking of another man's wife. And here we see God intercedes. He intercedes to save Abraham so that Abraham ultimately does, uh, out of the grace of God, what he's been shown. He intercedes for Abimelech. God intercedes for Abraham, and Abraham intercedes for Abimelech. Uh, in this text, this story, the first one ever to be called prophet, you heard it as it was read, before the message. He's the first one ever to be called prophet in the Bible. He now begins to speak to God and he prays on the behalf of Abimelech and the nation Gerar. And the text says, as we just heard as I read it, there was great healing on that day and even blessings, miraculous supernatural blessings of wombs being opened to conceive. So in this moment, Abraham does become a blessing to this nation as a representative of Yahweh in covenant. And think about Sarah. Wouldn't she have been encouraged after another scary night in a harem that, that God could open her womb too now? As he did it, the wife of Abimelech, the female servants. See, this is what we must do, Bethany. There are going to be more challenges, possibly in the next years than, than maybe ever for us as faithful Christians. But what we must do is exercise, act on, live out as we trust in the promises of God. They go hand in hand. They're codependent. When we trust in the promises of God, what do we do? It's our next, I think, and final uh, result. We deepen our appreciation of the gospel. 
And when we deepen our appreciation of the gospel, hand in hand, like I said, we deepen our trust in the promises and word of God. They go hand in hand. And actually, they have to go together. What was it like, I wonder, in Abraham and Sarah's marriage after these events took place? I'm sure they were not dining out that nice that night at a nice restaurant for a date. Or I mean, put it in our context, imagine if you were on a road trip and you stopped at a rest stop and while your wife was in the restroom, you drove away. I mean, you went back, but you wanted to check out what was down or back a few exits on the highway. Not a good day, let alone sending her to a strange king's harem. But here's what we see. While Abraham was to be the blessing to the world, ultimately, he didn't even take care of his own family at times. He was a husband who jeopardized his own wife's life, health, and body. But we have a husband who will never abandon his wife, the church, to some harem. And in fact, he willingly jeopardized himself in life, health, and body for us. And when he placed himself in jeopardy, do you know what happened? We grabbed him and we killed him. In fact, we have a husband who died for the bride and all our sinful schemes, even Abraham's scheme. We have a husband who rather than sell us out by abandoning us or making us be part of his own sinful scheme, he willingly goes to the cross to rescue his bride to pay for their sinful schemes, to secure his bride, and to make this bride beautiful. That's you, Bethany Church. And when your love and appreciation for that groom, Jesus, when it grows, so too do your godly responses of obedience. And instead of not trusting him to take care of business, we live and trust and obey in the goodness, the grace, and the gospel of God. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, be with us as a church. May we battle the temptation to not trust you. May we battle the temptation to uh, think that you're not good and, and to think poorly and think the worst of others in situations. Let us believe in the depth of your love for us because of your sacrifice on the cross, Jesus. A husband, a groom who would give up himself and put himself into jeopardy for our sake and our salvation. So Lord, take this story of Abraham and Abimelech and Sarah and work it into our hearts this week in our lives, in our growth groups, life groups, in our families, and uh, lead us forward, we pray, that we represent you and your holiness and your gospel on the face of this, this earth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.